Hey, welcome to Slashers and Spirits, a horror movie podcast. In this show, Kim and I show horror movies to AJ, who hated the genre until just recently. And we also drink heavily watching the movie and then record this podcast right after. I'm Aaron. I'm AJ. I'm Kim. So I didn't have to write it down that time, but it was different than the other ones. Um, I blame drinking a lot this time. <laughs> and also not recording this podcast for several weeks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not used to the Friday night ritual of drinking heavily and watching a horror movie. But I'm, I'm glad to be back. Me too. I'm happy about it. Um, am I starting off the call-out time or are you starting <laughs> off the call-out time? Um. Uh, mine's real quick. Okay, so so I'll bring this up. Um, AJ added me on TikTok after the last podcast. That's not true. And yeah, it is. Okay, continue. Oh, maybe you did it earlier, but you sent me something that made you appear on like my send this TikTok oh, okay. to yeah. someone. So after the last podcast, suddenly you were in like my send this TikTok to like recommended on the bottom, and I came across a boss baby TikTok. <laughs> And I sent you that Boss Baby TikTok, and then it struck me. I'm only going to send AJ Boss Baby TikToks until the next time we record the podcast. So I sent, <laughs> I sent AJ, like, four Boss Baby TikToks over the course of, like, three days. You did. And then we discussed how we have to not record for a couple of weeks. And I immediately started panicking because I didn't have Boss Baby TikToks to keep <laughs> sending you. And there were some TikToks I wanted to send you because they reminded me of you, but they weren't Boss Baby related. So I had to have Molly send them to you. <laughs> so I was searching the Boss Baby hashtag on TikTok repeatedly, trying to find more and more <laughs> Boss Baby TikTok to send you as the weeks went on. And I found horrible things. Like after the Boss Baby came out for like that initial week, all of the like funny haha meme TikToks were gone. And I just started searching through the hashtag, finding TikToks of serious Boss Baby fans. Just yeah. like Boss Baby fans who love Boss Baby and want to post TikToks expressing their love. And I've sat through probably over an hour of just like horrible <laughs> Boss Baby fan TikToks looking for just funny stuff to send you. <laughs> It wound up being a prank on myself where I just was exposed to this horrible fan base because I was so decided to be like, haha, I only sent you Boss Baby TikToks this week, but it totally backfired and it's bothered me for weeks and I've had to get it off my chest for so long because I, I needed to express this to you, but I didn't want to do it over the phone because it was way less funny. This is incredible and I... Not what I was expecting you to bring up, but I really love it. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But I was very taken back when you sent me Boss Baby. And then I was like, <laughs> you know what? It's Aaron. That's not shocking. And then I just was like, well, I'm just going to get Boss Baby things from now on. And it only happened like three times. <laughs> and after, I, I sent you like probably five or more Boss Baby Yeah, you sent me a solid amount. <laughs> and you just kept replying like... That boss baby, or like, <laughs> oh look, there's the boss baby. Like, no, like, why are you sending me boss babies? Or like, you know what? I know you well enough to know that that's not like. I was just kind of like, this is weird, but this is Aaron, so I'm not shocked. 
you completely denied me any of the reaction I wanted and then <laughs> made the timeline move so far that it was no longer funny. <laughs> and you completely turned a joke that I was trying to do on you onto me <laughs> over the course of a couple you're of weeks. And you had no idea. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad <sighs> you had to enjoy that. Oh, it's so it's it was the worst. Anyway, you can continue with whatever gripe you okay. had against Kim. So I'm mad at Kim. <laughs> because I, I love that we've held all, held all of this for weeks so we can yeah, talk no, about it sure. specifically. I literally I hung out with Kim. I've seen Kim since this has happened, but I'm still going to call her out of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I talked to her about it, but she didn't care. So she decided to tell me that I'm not hot through TikTok. Whoa. And I think that's very rude. Do you have a response? Why are Kim? both of these stories TikTok related? I don't know. I thought it was really funny <laughs> when you were talking. <laughs> so she sent me a TikTok that I should qu- look at it just to make sure I'm correctly quoting it because I don't want to be wrong, you know. Um, but it had to do with Twilight. And okay, it's POV. You ask a hot girl what the worst Twilight movie is, and then it says Eclipse, which is wrong. Uh, New Moon's the worst Twilight movie, and therefore, because she knows that I think that, she officially has called me not hot, and I think that's rude. I think Kim's standing by it, and that's where the silence is coming through right yeah, now. I hate to say, oh, shit! I, am. I mean, it's not a lie. Wow. Eclipse is the worst Twilight movie. Um, You're wrong, but... That's fine. Disagree. I'm more offended that you told me I wasn't hot. I mean, I didn't make that TikTok, to be fair. I just sent it because I thought it was funny. You know what? I have no skin in the in the Twilight game here. So. Yeah, we're going to watch all of them so you have opinions. Don't worry. I, I tried no. to make an argument for us to watch it on the podcast. No. Kim was very against it, but I tried to make an argument. I, 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 just have, I have no context at all. As, as far as Twilight goes, I know you're gonna, you guys are gonna force me to watch them at some point, and that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll get really drunk, and it'll be a good time. It'll be a I great think- time. I was thinking about when we were in college, and I would send, uh, we'd watch movies, mm-hmm. like kind of like the predecessor of this podcast. And I'd watch movies, and I'd laugh and giggle, or like you know, not shut the fuck up throughout them. And then we watched *Legally Blonde*, and I was silent the entire time, <laughs> <laughs> and it blew your guys' mind. I was silent throughout all of *Legally Blonde*. You guys thought I was like ill. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> you were you're, so quiet. Like you were like you must have hated that movie. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with that movie. I just I didn't have anything to say. <laughs> I definitely was concerned that something was wrong. Like, I definitely thought that something was super bad. Molly says that we were so concerned, because we were. We were deeply concerned. I, I sat and I enjoyed Legally Blonde. There was, there was I have so no good. complaints about Legally Blonde. It's a good movie. It's fine. I just didn't have a lot to say about it. I'm worried that's um, going to happen about Twilight. But I think there's a lot wrong with Twilight. I'm not going to lie. I watched mm-hmm. it recently. I was watching New Moon recently, and I ended up making, like, a two minute worth of uh, Instagram stories about it because I had so many opinions on watching New Moon by myself and um, Molly says it was great thank you Molly um, so I feel like there's no way to watch Twilight and sit quietly during it like it's it's really a film that forces you to be frustrated I'm afraid I'll get too invested I'll oh you have, will like, opinions. <laughs> I hope you do that's my hope for it do you think American Psycho connects to Legally Blonde at all 
Well, Reese Witherspoon is a sequel. Yeah, I think it could be a sequel in some ways. It's a very sad, like, ending for that character. Reese Witherspoon just... looks so much younger than she does in Legally Blonde. And I don't know why, but she aware... looks so much younger. I wasn't aware that Reese Witherspoon aged She all, doesn't age. She hasn't aged since Legally Blonde, but she looked older in Legally Blonde than she's in this <laughs> film. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, should we talk about uh, what we're drinking, or do we do that after last week's? I, well, I'm rusty here. It's been a while. Do we do we talk about? We talked about last week. Last it was terrifier. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked me how I felt about Terrifier, and I couldn't remember that when. Oh, when Molly asked for my recording of it, I was like, "That's the name of a movie we watched." <laughs> I just fully forgot that that was the name of that movie. All I remember from that movie is somebody getting sawed in half. Okay, so I've I've thought that like maybe I was too harsh on that movie, and I've been like, ah, you know what? Maybe it was like a kind of good character slasher, and it had some fun moments. And then I think about the sawing and half scene, and I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe not. No, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> so I'm still very confused about how I feel about Terrifier, but I I can say I liked it more that second time than I did the first. But I'm not sure I still have a glowing review for it. But I have I have thought about Terrifier a good bit. Um, Kim posted some Terrifier memes of like Art sitting in Bob's Burgers, and that cracked me oh, up. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought it was funny. That cracked me up. <laughs> That's what my feed looks like for the most part. It, it's pretty much like had us commit to watching Terrifier two when it came out th- when it comes out though, right? Like a hundred percent. Like it's absolutely set. I'm just worried they'll up the ante, and I don't want it to go much further than that. I do. I'm excited. <laughs> I want them to push further. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's been that movie's been development for a long time though, and I don't feel like that that spells well for it, you know. Yeah, it could also be COVID, or you know, I, I'm not quite sure why it hasn't just been released, but. I'm still going to watch it regardless. And it's probably going to be trash because you can't really beat the original, or the first, you know, movie. But, um, I don't know. I think it can be improved on. I'm curious. On. <laughs> I definitely think you can improve on that movie. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, like, you know, his artistry, his his character, and, like, the gore, I think those are really, like, key parts that the original does really well. I would like to see more gore, though, not going to lie. I don't think I like gore. Just to throw that out there. I don't know why anyone would think I would, knowing me. But um, I don't think I like gore. Not a big fan? No. No. Me either. And I'll, like, I'm just looking I'm just looking for a giggle. <laughs> but I, I get, my, <laughs> but I get my, my kicks in sick ways, I guess. So, I mean, I, I laughed a lot through American Psycho today. I was Same. giggling at least every couple of minutes in American Psycho today. Um, Molly just typed P into... Yeah our chat right now and i don't know i don't know what that means either right, molly who edits the podcast p oh, p as oh get your kicks. the letter that aaron likes p oh my oh, god i think that's what i escape this p thing you will that's never true, escape though. it aaron i can't loves escape pee. this p thing it's oh, okay god. that's not like that uncommon of a fetish not gonna lie it's all oh. i watched it- a tiktok today okay i have to share this <laughs> Oh, third TikTok story of the day, everybody. Here we go. I watched a TikTok today where this guy said, so I got pee in my ear earlier this week. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Oh, Aaron's way too excited about that. I just, Don't be getting ideas. I just did not see that coming whatsoever. That was the first sentence out of his mouth. And he also made a vodka milk drink during the story. And all of it was awful. 
Um, but yeah, all I really like the only focus of it is that the first sentence was I got pee in my ear and then he continued the story while pouring milk, like whole milk into a cup and then poured v- Tito's into it. Wow, that's that's, that's horrifying. I didn't know how I got there. I was like, what happened to my TikTok yeah, feed? What's your TikTok happening? Say. We're all judging. We're yeah. all talking about how, how me and the pee thing, but you're getting pee TikToks, okay? I'm I don't know how boss it got baby there. TikToks, okay? <laughs> I am full of boss baby TikToks. I know all the lore at this point, okay? Okay, most of my TikTok is about trauma therapy, so I don't know why the fuck that showed up, but it did. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Yeah, that's a lot. There's really no way to go down that path. I, I, I'm at a loss for words here. <laughs> Speaking of trauma, P is traumatic, like the yeah. Movie. I guess we should go. You know, should, okay. So now we have two options, right? We discuss the movie, or we continue to do another two-hour and twenty-minute podcast. Hell yeah! <laughs> to no, okay. We discuss, but the movie. we need to talk about what we're drinking. Yeah. Um, um, I'll go first. Okay. I'm drinking a beer called Imperial Starfucker. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a play on. I, I, it's, it might be like a sci-fi reference. I don't know, or it could just be trying to say Imperial Starfucker. That's like, kind of what that's I thought. The joke. I think that's what it is, but like there might be like some kind of Battlestar Galactica character that's named like Fox or something, or I don't know. But Imperial Starfucker. I thought it was like Star Wars, like, but maybe not. It's nine percent alcohol. That's pretty solid. <laughs> what about you guys? I've had almost a whole bottle of wine, as I do. <laughs> as all the great episodes start. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, because I'm at my parents' house, and that's what they had. Oh, I like you got the full brand. That's that's rare. <laughs> right? <laughs> I always tell you the whole brand of whatever you do. It's, I'm Ki- it's always it's Kim, Kim that's like, I'm secretive. drinking wine. Target. <laughs> yeah. Literally, though, that's exactly what I'm drinking. I'm drinking my wine from Target. What's the name of it? It's just a Riscato. It's got It's got a, a title. It's d- got a label. No. I've seen the label of it. It's like Riscato Italian something. Italian, maybe. I don't know. But it's $14 at Target. So. Love like, that. Holy fuck. Chill out. God damn it. <laughs> it's kind of bougie, I know. <laughs> To Target exclusive. Actually, it's not. I, I got this from Vons. <laughs> but fuck Vons. Last time they wouldn't sell me alcohol, so. Why not? Go hell. Why? My roommate um, <laughs> at the time wasn't 21, and her, my bottle accidentally got mixed in with her stuff. Mm. And the stupid cashier rang it up on accident, and when I told her that it was mine... She said, oh, well, this person's not 21, so I can't even sell it to either of you. And I was like, but it, it's not. I'm like, I don't know her. I lied. And I'm like, <laughs> it's my wine. And she wouldn't sell it to me. So I had to go to fucking Stater Brothers <laughs> to go pick up my fucking wine. This is before they sold it at Target. So I was really, really upset. Wait, is Stater Bro- is Wait. Vaughn's Stater Brothers or we got a third location here? No, no, I had to go from, in that, in that situation, after Vons, I had to go to Stater Brothers uh, instead, because they refused to sell me the alcohol. So I it have is a Vons Stater Brothers Target exclusive. Yes. Yeah. Secondly, yeah. I've been to Target with you to buy this wine while we were in college, so I don't know how it wasn't at Target during this story. I, 
I don't remember it being, like, a Target thing. Like, I used to only go to Vons because I have a Vons card, so mm. I would get all my alcohol and stuff from Vons exclusively. So, I mean, it probably Ooh. was a Target. I just didn't remember. But now I do buy it exclusively from, from Target because they would never deny me alcohol, and I appreciate that. Wow. <laughs> but fuck Vons. This is an anti-Vons household. This, um, is, this is an anti-Vons podcast. I'll go ahead and lay down the law right now. I kind of yeah. like Vons, but that's okay. But, sh- shut, shut up. <laughs> I'm trying. You're embarrassing me. I'm We're trying sorry. to make a stand here. We're trying to look united. Yeah, honestly. We're trying to look united. They, they fucking did me so dirty that day. I will never forgive them for it. How are we going to look united when I spent the first part of this podcast calling Kim out and she didn't even argue with me? <laughs> it was it was pretty dark. <laughs> Kim said I'm not hot. And Kim's like I stand by it. <laughs> I stand by the statement that the TikTok made. Okay, you couldn't Anything clarify that during that section because that's what I said. I said I stand by it, but I didn't make that TikTok. If you're so looking... technically, it's not coming from straight my opinion. But I mean, I sent it to you for a reason because you like Eclipse, whereas I do not. I so feel, I thought it was, you know, kind of funny. I feel like I'm going to blame AJ a little bit here for, for looking for emotional support from Kim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did you expect me to do? You know what? I'm not going to validate anything. I'm going to keep giving hope into Kim emotionally supporting me because sometimes she surprises me and then sometimes she doesn't. But we're just going to keep playing into it. This is how much I think. I have never emotionally supported you. That's nor will so I be a fucking my- lie. But God, okay. she won't even tell us what wine she drinks. <laughs> I did tell you. She won't That's even tell us. That's all I know about it. She what won't does share the bottle anything. say? The fact that <laughs> I know her birthday is shocking. I have yeah. a friend that won't tell me his birthday. I've known him for years. You don't know his birthday? No, I've never known his birthday. And I've, I've gone oh. as far as asking his mom. And his mom has been like, Nick says, I can't tell you. <laughs> I want to find out so bad now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have no idea. I've never. What if bought... I ask him? Will he tell me? And I just promise not to tell you. I I don't. Oh, if you like really swore not to tell me, he might tell you just because it'd be funny that you would know and I wouldn't. But... Yeah, that would be kind of funny. But you'd have to convince him a lot. Oh, I want to know so bad now. Okay. All right. Should we Should we go into American Maybe. Psycho now? <laughs> yes. Probably go into American Psycho. So, yes. So this week I decided to watch American Psycho. I, I didn't know if Kim was a fan of this movie when I chose it, but I assumed so, and I believe I assumed correctly. Yes. Okay. Cause I love it, this movie. Kim's kind of like a brick wall when it comes to watching these movies. You have no clue what she <laughs> what she feels until, until the end here. So I was I was pretty certain she was into it. It has a lot of. It's Kim? not gory, but it's like a thirst trap in itself. So I figured Kim would like that aspect of it. There's a lot of uh, of Patrick Bateman Bush going on in this. <laughs> Bush, yeah, okay. you see his Bush multiple times. Yeah, there's there's a couple okay. of Bush scenes here. Uh, uh, Kim's pretending she didn't see it. She's like, really? She's I didn't even look. She Shit. Didn't even focus on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of this movie, not because of the Bush, but it doesn't hurt. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's the yeah, first you thing you brought up. On it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I was trying to think of what Kim would like about this movie. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> um, but no, I love this movie. I think um, Christian Bale is fucking incredible in it. And I feel like overall it's relatively slow, but it's never boring. Um, I feel like every scene is entertaining and it's all there for a reason, despite... I mean, I feel like one of my favorite scenes in this movie is them comparing business cards. Oh my god! And 
them and it's, it's like those cards <laughs> and, and it seems ridiculous at first but then as the movie goes on you realize like how important that is you know that like how how important the status is and i think there's a lot of there's a there's a lot to discuss about this movie like i guess politically and like socially that's not necessarily super apparent becomes more more apparent the more you watch it because there's very clearly like a story of privilege yeah going throughout it and there's a lot of focusing on like unimportant things but there's a lot of other themes that i've realized go on i want to save for like later but um the more and more i watch this movie the more i feel i i get from it but yeah i'm a i'm a big fan kim what do you, what do you like about this movie besides the bush? everything <laughs> no i think there's this is a movie that not only has really good acting um and it has a very interesting plot flow but it also just has a lot to dig into i think the most notable thing about this film is that it's directed by a woman yes and i think there's a lot of details and angles about this movie that clearly show that it's directed by a woman um i also think that credit to her mary heron because this was originally a book and i've read the book like, a long time ago, though, so I'm not going to be, like, quoting anything like that. But um, I think she did a very good job transforming this character and this story into something more than it was on paper. And, I mean, I agree when people say that this movie is, in all intents, a feminist movie at the end of the day. I think it's enjoyable, but there's also so much meat in this movie that there's so much to talk about. And also, Christian Bale. I mean... He's hot as fuck. He Batman is. is in this movie. He kills so it. So I think movie. that's another layer in this movie as well that adds on to it. Putting the protagonist not only as a narrator, but also as someone attractive. And I think that opens up discussion as well. <laughs> Once so just, we get more Just coming from details. Kim, it's just like the attractiveness opens up for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's when like, you get into Kim's the themes of it, and I'll bring it up later because there's there's a conversation about I don't want to give spoilers, I guess, so early, but this movie is about a serial killer. But there is conversation about placing attractive actors, attractive men, in the roles of killers and how that affects how we view murderers and how we glamorize things like that. So um, I think this movie does it well in ways that other movies don't. I don't believe this is a glamorization. I think it's a criticism and a satire. And I think this movie does what other, you know, true crime-esque movies attempt to do when they put an attractive male actor in the role of a serial killer. That's why I really like this, because I think when we compare it to other movies and other characters, like people that redo Bundy for the fucking thousandth time, (laughs) putting Zac Efron as Ted Bundy, when we all fucking know Ted Bundy wasn't even fucking hot, he's a psycho. I think when we have this character characterization in this movie, it shows what should be done, when we're putting, you know, this juxtaposition of evil and attractiveness together. So, I am a big fan. I do think that Ted Bundy could both be hot and a psycho, I would just like to clarify. Well, that's... No. That's... I will never, I will never, ever, ever call Ted Bundy attractive. I'm not saying he, he is attractive. Woman. Okay. So did the that's... man that you just called hot in this film. Secondly... <laughs> Oh, I, I said he was attractive, but he's a character. I think there's a difference between character and an actual yes. serial I'm killer. I'm not calling Ted Bundy hot. I just think you said people call him hot, but he's a psycho. And I just wanted to clarify he could be both. Like, there is a I, ability for that to be two things that p- exist. 
I think Ted Bundy oh. commits the ultimate like sin for Kim as being psycho and not hot. Yes, like that's that, that's go. a big problem. That's the deal breaker, <laughs> not the psycho. No, part. I think it, it's more so the fact that that's all that people want to focus on is the fact that he was quote unquote attractive or that he's someone who won over his victims because of his looks, and that to me being like the sole factor when it's not even fucking true really does disgust me. Like, people say the same thing about Manson or any other, like, famous quote-unquote serial killer. And as much as I love true crime and I love horror, I know that there's a line between fantasy and reality. Yeah. And to me, it's always disgusting when people want to, like, put those kind of labels and glamorizations on men who have done the worst fucking shit to women. And it's just, it's just not my, that's, that's where I draw my line. I mean, Manson Fictional was characters, prison, right? Like. Yeah. Exactly. And fictional characters, I think, is on the table. That's fine because they're not real. But I think once we cross over to reality and we start giving these subpar white men this kind of platform, (laughs) it's fucking disgusting to me. So I never catch me fucking calling any of these serial killer bitches IRL anything other than disgusting monsters because that's exactly what they are feel like this is this is kim's stand right here that she's yeah. like we've, re- we've reached the point where like the meme has gone on long enough and now we need attracted to, to the killer that she's like all right now i need to start drawing this line okay but here's the real I mean, question it... when is aaron gonna draw a line on his pee kink because there is no line for aaron there's no <laughs> pee kink you can be real with us it's okay but but christian bale some great hair in this movie <laughs> and we're gonna go back to some of the <laughs> <laughs> he does have great hair in this movie. Um, Incredible. I want to talk about this, the like plot of this movie, but I feel like a lot of what I have to say about this movie is kind of like overarching, and like so. Yeah. I think while we'll get through the plot of this movie, there will be a lot of like jumping to the end to reference something. Yeah. I just I don't feel like it's going to be possible to have a good discussion while like keeping quiet about it so i i kind of want to discuss the ending first just real quick okay Um, Okay. i have lots of questions about the ending yes also technically i'm supposed to give my review before we get into this yeah well you sorry yes your general thoughts you're you're supposed to give like a non-spoiler general yeah right i have a lot of thoughts so that's kind of hard um i think i liked it i think it was Uh really entertaining um i definitely got a little lost in it um but it's it's kind of a wild time, so I'm a little like I think I need to talk through it to come up with like a true conclusion about how I feel about it. But I think I liked it. I think I might be able to clear like some things up. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion in this movie about whether where reality yes starts and ends. Yes. Um, should should we go over characters and actors and whatnot and get that out of the way before we get into the discussion of the movie? Sure. Um, just so we reference names and characters, we can kind of know. Who yeah, we're talking yeah. About. Let's, and let's... to just get the general, you know, overview of who's in this movie and who directed it, music, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to start that and I'll cut in, or do you do you have an idea of where you want to yeah. go with that? Okay. I'll just do the whole thing and then we will go back to the ending where we yeah left yeah. Off. Okay. So this movie, as we've already said, is American Psycho, released in 2000. Um, It stars Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, Jared Leto as Paul Allen, Brett Easton as Ellis, Reese Witherspoon as Evelyn Williams, William Dafoe as Detective Donald Kimball, 
Chloe Sevigny as Jean, and Genevieve Turner, who plays Elizabeth, a very small role, but it's notable that she is also one of the co-writers of this um, movie. It's directed by Mary Heron, and the music and its selection was done by John Cale. It is rated R, and it's about like an hour and 42 minutes, so it is a pretty long movie. But it has a very star-studded cast, so that tells you a lot about the quality of this movie going forward. I'd agree that the movie feels kind of long, but the minimum length for like a horror movie is an hour and a half. So like 15 minutes past that doesn't seem like on paper like it's really long, but it does seem like a lot happens in it, you know? Yeah, I agree. There's a, there's a lot in this movie that's kind of packed in there, but it doesn't feel packed, but there is a lot that does happen. I also want to bring up just something that's like kind of fun is the fact that Leo DiCaprio, like post Titanic, exactly. was like gonna play Patrick Bateman for yeah. a while. I think it was even, <laughs> I think it was even announced that he was gonna be Patrick Bateman, and there's like some interest there because he was such like a teen heartthrob at the time yeah, that, that it kind of thought wild. like. It kind of thought like all the teenagers that were going gaga for him might not like him, you know, doing half of the things mm-hmm. that Christian Bale does in this movie. But I think that yeah. would have been really interesting. And I don't think it would have stopped his career. I think it would have changed it to some degree. But I think Leo probably would have brought something pretty cool to this role. But I think I think um, Christian Bale nailed it through and through, though. Yeah, he was hesitant as well to take the role because a lot of people were saying that playing a villainous role could probably make you either like stagnant in your career or he would just become unlikable um so he almost didn't take it but gladly he did and he does an amazing job in this movie not surprising because he's a really great actor what's funny too is this is just the i have like two like fun facts about this movie and this is the second one that uh i think bale really hams it up in, in this movie like he's overacting mm-hmm. in a lot of scenes and i think it's to show like he, he's putting on a farce right like he's pretending to be normal and like i think that's a huge that's a huge like theme in this movie is pretending to be normal there's that scene where he's sitting with reese witherspoon and he says she's like why do you keep this job you don't need this job your dad runs the company he's like i just want to fit in and i think that says yeah. like so much about like his character and i and a lot of his cast members on set would see him like overacting like this and apparently around the set it was just like why the hell did they hire this guy this guy is the worst actor like mm. he's so bad and then once they saw the movie they got it but i just think that like it's understandable that they would see him do some of these scenes and be like god he's hamming it up out there huh like he's <laughs> yeah. he's really going at this with no chill but i think that that's really important i think he really nails the role so it's just funny that like this great performance was viewed on set as like wow they made a mistake this movie's gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay did we cover okay, so we can continue yes. on um the ending and kind of going over that yeah so i i guess there's there's a lot that happens in this movie and then at the end there's a lot that starts to like contradict itself like what your idea of what's real and what happened in the movie starts to be questioned at the end and it almost makes you wonder if anything in this movie actually happened happens yes um and if you look it up all the directors and authors are like oh it's ambiguous or oh, i think it all happened or i think it all didn't happen and i think really it's it's kind of up to like the audience to decide um the author of the book has a very author of the book response which is it was never meant to be a movie on scene uh, on screen you're supposed to see what happened and my book was supposed to be ambiguous and i think the movie does a good job of being ambiguous <laughs> i don't yeah. think the movie mm-hmm. failed at being ambiguous but 
I, I understand that at the same point. So I think probably a lot of your que- your questions, AJ, are like, how did what like, you know, like yeah, it's just confusing as to what actually happened, and I think that's yeah. like kind of the point. Okay, because you kind of question it. There's like a scene. I can't remember the details of it, but there's a scene where, oh, there's a couple times where he says something like he says, some, he says that he is into murders and executions to this woman. And she's like, oh, you're into mergers and like something else. And mm-hmm. like, you know, you realize at that moment, like, no, he didn't say that to this person. Like, that's crazy. So that's one of those moments that you like see that like his reality might not be completely accurate. I feel like every one of those scenes, though, takes place in, like, a loud room where he might be able to say that and get away with it. That's interesting. I feel like there's also, there's, like, every time he does one of those, like, when the, 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 I guess we can kind of start, this is a good, like, kind of segue into the movie, because one of the first scenes is him ordering drinks at a bar. Yes. And he orders two drinks, and the bartender turns around, and she's, like... His drink ticket's expired, and he has to pay cash mm-hmm. at the bar now, and she's kind of shitty about it. And he's like, uh, I want to stab you to death and play in your blood. But the music is, like, booming in the background, and you're kind of left in this ambiguous way of, like, could she hear that or could she not hear that? It's it's definitely ambiguous whether – there's no right answer, you know? So either she heard it or ch- and chose to ignore it, or she didn't hear it at all, and he knew damn well he couldn't be heard. Yeah. See, I took it as he didn't actually say that. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that, and I think that's that's a lot of what the movie's trying to to, to play. Mm-hmm. Because but it's not. I don't know. In my world, it's like you would have heard some part of that, and you would have turned around. Like if somebody says "bitch," even if it's quiet, some you hear some part of it and you notice it. Yeah, I, I have I have like kind of other theories too, but I f- I feel like we should cover the intro to some degree. And then we'll, we'll we'll have we'll be able to comment on parts as they come. Now that we've kind of set up that there's a discussion to be had whether or not certain parts actually happened. And as we go through the movie now, we'll be able to point, throw our opinions out on it. Is that fair? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So how how does this movie open? What happens here? It opens um, with the bar scene. It opens with the bar scene, and then it goes into kind of his like morning routine. Is that fair? Yes, which I had a problem with. <laughs> go, go ahead. What's your problem with Why the... doesn't he use shampoo? <laughs> he does this whole... I mean, he doesn't include it, but okay. I, I don't think that means he they doesn't do use it. He does this whole detailed thing where they're like, he washes his face with this, this, and this. He washes his body with this, this, and this. But he just, like, puts water in his hair. And I'm like, excuse me, you also have to wash your fucking hair. Like, that's a normal thing. Like, it's... I just don't understand why they didn't include it. It's probably because it's not like an expensive part like the things that he uses are meant to basically highlight the fact that he 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 has money to invest in things like a a luxurious like face and self-care i guess face wash and like body wash shampoo there's not really like luxurious or glamorous shampoo i think they wanted to focus on things that like the, the normal layman person does not do most everyone uses shampoo and conditioner, but all this other excessive okay. stuff that he does. Shampoo's is controversial. It, what? It, a lot of people don't wash their hair every day. It's not like oh, the not every is. day. That's true. That's true. But I think he does use shampoo. I just think the whole purpose was to show you know the excessive stuff that he does that not many normal people do or can afford to do. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of privilege in it, which is a a theme for sure. 
And I, he never works yeah. in this goddamn movie. He's always no. at a restaurant. He's never doing anything thing. important. No. And he cl- very clearly makes an incredible amount of money. Not as much as the other dude. <laughs> um, one of the things I love about that intro is the, the monologue he gives starts with, I live in the American Gardens building on West 81st Street on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. So I, I can't quite take credit for this. It was pointed out to me but it's just it says so much about his character that he would state where he lives before his own name mm-hmm. yeah he's so materialistic and he's so obsessed with image that that is more important than who he is himself well the image is who he is yes and that that's very much the discussion of like that monologue is you might look at me and i look normal you might shake my hand and feel like i'm a real person but at the end of the day i'm nobody i'm not there i feel nothing yeah that's at some point he says that and it was very clearly like oh okay great so we we fully appreciate it and recognize that you're like a psychopath and it's within the first 10 minutes and i think it's one of the best scenes in the movie like one of the three standout scenes in the movie would you agree kim yeah i would I really, I really do like the introduction to how he introduces himself. I think there's a lot. I mean, again, his character is so... It's so interesting in the fact that it's not. Yeah. And I have so many notes and so many... Like, I could write a paper about this guy. There's just so much about him that's, like, both intriguing, but not for the reasons you think it is, or the reasons that it should be. Because he's very much egotistical. That's, like, his biggest character personality trait. He's very egotistical. And it's, he says all the time that he wants to fit in and that he basically wants to do what everyone else is doing. But at the same time, he tries to otherize himself in elitism and luxuryism. But at the same time, he wants to just quote unquote fit in. And, and it's, it's, there's just so much about this movie that's incredible because even by saying that, that doesn't make him different from any of the other characters that we see throughout this movie. And, all- and there's so many subtleties about that that exist throughout the movie, which obviously I'll point out. But and, and all so of the good. other characters look like him and act exactly. like him and do the same. That's thing. exactly what I was going to so, point so out. So in his and then there's a big theme where anytime they reference somebody in this movie, even like there's a lot of scenes where Patrick gets called the wrong, the wrong name. name. And then there's not just that. There's a lot of scenes where they're pointing to someone at a restaurant and being like, isn't that so-and-so? And they're like, no, that's this person. And it's so funny that in a in a quest for all of them to stand out and be better than the others, they're always trying to one-up each other. And they're always trying to show that they're more tasteful or more fit or more, uh, more wealthy and have better things. But they all confuse each other for one another. So there's like such a, a need to stand out, but it's so futile. Yeah, they're all, it's like a homogeny of, you know, what these these men essentially are trying to be, but are exactly the same. Yeah. And I think that is just so clever. They're so, like, rewatching it, you know, for, like, probably the hundredth time I've seen this movie, there's just so many sm- small little instances of things that you pick up that's, like, it's just so interesting. And I think that's why I like this movie and why I like movies like Midsummer because there's so many, like, small things about it that if you rewatch and you pay attention... It's like, oh my god, I didn't notice that before. Or it applies to the bigger, you know, thematic um, arcs that this movie Im- it includes. And it's 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 incredible. And funny. It's also funny. It's hilarious. I think that's why I like this movie, too. It's funny not for its comedic one-liners, 
but it's funny in how they depict men, and I like that so much. Any thoughts on that, AJ? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of thoughts. The last line just stuck out to me that Kim said it's funny how they depict men, because it was definitely one of those things where I'm like, yep, and this is why I don't trust men. Um, <laughs> and I said at one point that this isn't good for my paranoia, because it's just like a man who seems completely normal to other people who just murders the fuck out of people. Um, or at least wants to, but still, that's terrifying. I think that, like, even one of the things I was thinking about is, like, they try to talk about important things a couple times, or, like, things outside of themselves, and there's a point where, um, Patrick Bateman goes off and on about, like, all these different things you should care about over Sri Lanka, and it, (laughs) one, I had a moment where I was like, wow, does that what I sound like when I'm talking about things? And two, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, so, like, they're aware of the outside world, but they just don't really give a shit because they're also still so focused on what's going on with themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, 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 all, it's, it's fake, too, like, when yeah. he discusses the issues. It, it's so non-genuine. It, it's so, this is what normal people would discuss, so I need to get all of this out now to show I'm a normal person. Yeah, oh, there's just so much, like... I mean, again, we can criticize him for, like, you know, the self-absorption. But I'm gonna be honest. I feel like a lot of fucking people do this shit, too. And I, it, it's just, like, I don't want to bag on... Yeah, I don't want to get into, like, politics or anything like that. But there's just, like, a lot of, like, what now people call, like, wokeness or fake wokeness. That people just want to use things as talking points to be self-righteous and have a moral high ground. And I feel like it's so thick in this movie but it's also not far from reality. Like, and it's just, like, crazy because, I mean, it's supposed to depict how how much of a contradiction he is within himself, talking about, like, racism and, and all of these systematic issues while he's also a murderer. Yeah. But at the same time, like, that duality in that one portion of himself isn't that different from his colleagues, but it's also not that different from anyone else in the fucking world. I mean, to say that none of us in some ways do shit like that on occasion make ourselves feel self-righteous for the sake of feeling self-righteous and feeling like we're good people i don't think that's far off from what normal people do so i think when he has that line in the movie when he says i i am like i can't quote it but he basically says i am the most humane like i know humanity the most I think that's very true to some degree. I think his mannerisms as crazy and as maybe nonsensical as it might seem or cartoonish or exuberant or, you know, again, self-righteous. I think that's not so different from everyone else that we see in the world. And that's so fucking crazy to me. And I love it. I love it so much. I I read that differently. I read that as, like, they had pushed a button where he's like, don't call me inhumane. I'm perfectly human. Like, yeah, shut the hell up. Like, I'm just as normal as all of you. (laughs) You know, like that kind of thing. But I see what you're saying, too. And it's, I think that's some of the greatness of this movie is how many different ways it can be interpreted. Because Mm -hmm. you can argue that he's more self-aware than others. He knows what he's about. He knows, he knows damn well what he wants and doesn't hide it. I mean, he hides it, but, like, he doesn't hide it from himself. He doesn't deny it. He's like, Agre- no, yeah, I, I, I want to kill people, and that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, you know, there, there, there's so much to this character, and there's so much to the story that's so incredible, but you can either see him for himself as a character, and that's it, or you can see him as a symbol of something else. 
and I tend to go more for the latter just because there's just so much more to talk about and connect. But as just an individual, you know, character in a movie, I can understand where it, it goes from, you know, him trying to solidify his normalness or his, you know, making sure that he fits in and blends in just like any other serial killer kind of does. Um, but yeah, there's just two ways of looking at it, which I always think is so interesting. And that's kind of why this movie is so not only, you know, beloved and praised, but also a really good movie to watch and talk about. I, I, I completely agree. Um, I feel like there's so much overarching things to talk about that we should probably blaze through some of the plot real quick. Agreed. So we can continue. Um, we, we basically meet Patrick Bateman. We see his morning routine and we see, you know, the kind of person that he is and that he's there's nothing real underneath him it's all a facade it's all an act and you see several times there's a dry cleaning scene early on where you can see he loses his cool he's trying to get blood stains out of his sheets screaming and yelling at the dry cleaners and then somebody that he knows comes in and he immediately switches he needs to change mm-hmm. and be normal to maintain his facade and he you can almost see how he lives a dangerous life in the sense that he almost lets it slip like it uh, for for a minute, his true nature is almost revealed, and then you see his real callousness and his his lack of emotion in a dinner scene where he's looking at his fiance, who is Reese Witherspoon, and he straight up acknowledges, "Yeah, I think my friend and my fiance are having an affair, but that's no big deal because I'm currently having an affair with her best friend." And she's completely addicted to pills and is completely out there, but it doesn't really matter to me because I'm just trying to have, like, a human relationship at the end of the day to seem normal. And he takes this woman out on a date, and she is so just gone. She's not Mm -hmm. there. She's falling asleep at the table. But you can see that he's almost just happy to have gone on a date and have her there because it shows him in a socially normal situation and he, he's just trying to keep that going or at least that's how i read it did you guys read that any other way yeah i no, guess they no, read it I, oh <laughs> <laughs> no i agree yeah i think that that's exactly how i read it i think it's very much um i was also going to point out that in that scene where he's like i think my fiance is having an affair the guy like fully like gropes her and kisses her neck and everything like he feels mm-hmm. her the fuck up in front of him and he just like has no feeling no expression it's just like yeah they're having an affair and he also sees himself kind of as like this badass but there's kind of a recurring theme of people not realizing he's patrick bateman and then talking about patrick bateman to him and referring mm-hmm. to him as a dork and i think it could be very apparent that it's like Patrick Bateman isn't nearly as cool as he thinks he is, and his mm-hmm. friends are, like, straight up kissing his girlfriend at the table, and it's like, what, bitch boy Bateman won't even say anything about it. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, he doesn't care. I mean, there is a scene late in the movie. Uh, she doesn't play an important part of this movie, so I feel like, like, Reese Witherspoon's very non-essential in this plot. I mean, she gets across that he has he's unfeeling, but later when he, like, kind of breaks up with her, he just straight up looks at her and says, frankly, I just, I don't care very much about you. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's definitely shown. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he, it's very clear that he just has no, like, because he sets up that date and you think maybe he's setting up a date for, with her. And then it's like, no, obviously it's with the other girl. 
And I think that that's another scene where it's like, oh, yeah, he doesn't give a shit. She's, like, so gone that there's no way you can have a real emotional connection on this date. Mm -hmm. He couldn't care less. She's literally asleep at the table, and it doesn't bother him very much because he doesn't care in the first place. And I think a lot of the time he's just trying to have sex as, like, a human instinct, not as any kind of emotional connection. I was thinking about that at one of the scenes that, like, there's the scene where he has the two girls where he... um, he gets two women who do sex work and he like says that he wants one for a couple. So he's like implying that he's dating one of them. And then there's like this whole scene about it and they're having sex. And it very much just seems like he's just like looking in the mirror. It's very much like to do it, to do it instead of like to do it, to receive any kind of need or anything like that. So like feed his own ego to see Mm -hmm. himself having sex with two women and flexing rather than to enjoy the moment, I guess. Um, let, so uh, are we cool with how we're kind of blazing through some of this to some degree? Mm-hmm. Can, can yeah. we keep, can we, um, does it, does anyone else want to take over? No, no, no we're good. We're good. Um, again, I'm just, there's a lot, a lot of the, the great parts of these scenes are like the slow conversational aspects of them. So I do feel like I'm robbing it to some degree by blowing through it, but I feel like we're discussing it on such a higher level than just scene by scene that it helps to give us like wood for that fired for that conversation by going through the scenes but mm-hmm. um uh, i think we can kind of go into the card scene now and i think this is when the point of him trying to stand out amongst everybody that basically looks just like him comes into play and the fact that his existence is so defined by his social status it really comes to play when paul allen who's kind of patrick bateman's rival played by jared leto is introduced into like the law firm and the big the way they show this is he can get reservations to darcia or is it darcia dorcia dorcia thank you uh he's trying to get reservations to dorcia and he can't get it and then paul allen comes in and talks about how he's able to get reservations for dorcia all the time and he's immediately jealous of paul allen and his success and then patrick bateman's like okay it's cool i'm gonna show my superiority by showing my new expensive card um, business card card. and i think this shows just like how pathetic and i think it can fit into like your uh, what you were saying kim about like how it shows men just being stupid and having no real like just caring about shit that doesn't matter in the fact that they bring out this white business card with black text and they ooh and awe over it and they talk about the shade of off-white it is that's bone with this type of lettering and they all ooh and awe and they start you know basically comparing dicks they're pulling out their yeah their business cards and at the end of the day they all look really similar like they're all the same shit you know um they just find this so important for some reason. And you can see how immediately someone having raised lettering on their business card, Paul Allen in particular, just completely ruins Patrick Bateman's day. Like, uh, he's so composed and he's so secure. And then when he sees this business card that's better than him, he breaks out into a sweat and collapses. And I think when this movie's brought up, there's two scenes, maybe three, that are really thought of. And this is one of them. I thought it was funny that his business card is bone colored. Yes, absolutely. What about you, Kim? What do you, what do you think about this scene? I mean, it it's definitely a metaphor for comparing dicks. <laughs> like, yeah. I've seen so many people talk about it in that context that, I mean, there's no other way to talk about it. There's no other way to look at it. 
I think it is very much just another reflection of male vanity and just the stupidity of it and just it's just so it's it's just so funny because that's what this comes down to in in my opinion like it's all about egotistical vanity that at the end of the day doesn't fucking matter it's something so simplistic and something that you would never who cares he gives a shit about business cards but the way they present it as if it's the biggest important thing that they have to their name is just comical yeah you sure you good mm-hmm. uh sorry i didn't want to cut you off um and the thing is is it's not like only patrick cares about it about it it's not like it's some kind of mania he has when he walks through the halls people say bateman nice tan you know like people yeah. he's supported by people that care about this kind of shit even though at the end of the day it is meaningless and aj you were we were first watching this movie it it is pretty early in the movie that this business card scene comes into play and you were you know seeing them sweat and talk about business cards and you were very much laughing at it and being like what the hell are you watching right now like they're taking business cards so seriously did did your opinion on that like change throughout the movie i mean like i think when it comes back around you're a little bit like okay i get it but at the same time, I definitely had, I literally was like, what the fuck are we watching? Like, we're literally just staring at a bunch of men upset about a business card and comparing, basically comparing dick size. And I was taken aback because I think that that's not something I ever thought would be in a movie that I watched. Um, but I get it. Like, it makes sense with the rest of the plot and it makes sense with the rest of the storyline. I just think at first it's very much like, why are we watching this? Like, what's going to happen that's so interesting that makes this worth seeing? It's a great scene. It's so funny. I, I think it's character building, too. It shows mm-hmm. just how petty. Well, and it introduces it. Paul Allen, and it introduces, like, a lot of different elements that I think are important. And I think it's definitely, like, like I see why this is, like, an important scene. I think just when you first see it for the first time, it's definitely something that makes you, like, what's the point of this i think it also it also sets up the important misconception that paul allen thinks that patrick bateman is somebody else did, did yes. anybody else catch his name i yeah I, um oh. marcus marcus, marcus. And, yeah it's a weird last name right it's like kind of marcus like hatchbull or something yeah like that. yeah hatchman something, something one of those two but like driven by jealousy and they also talk about how Paul Allen has a, a very valuable account that he's been left in charge of. So he's very clearly making more money and has like a nicer business card. And it kind of, you know, sets Patrick ablaze to kind of want to kill him, like quite honestly. Yeah. But he takes advantage of the fact that he mistook him for Marcus and decides to make a dinner plan with him. So Paul Allen thinks he's having dinner with Marcus and will document it as such. And Patrick takes him to a restaurant and gets him absolutely hammered and then takes him back to his apartment. And um, I, w- I would love for someone else to describe the scene for <laughs> the scene from her on. We skipped the scene where he killed the homeless man. Yes. But it's not that big of a scene. It's his just he's just aggressive and wants to feel superior. So he killed the homeless man. <laughs> yeah that's that just happens before this christmas thing where he makes plans with paul allen yes yes and again sorry if i'm, I'm skipping stuff because that is that is kind of an important scene but it is kind of summed up as he kills a homeless man there's not yeah like, yeah it's, it's pretty pretty quick and pretty fucked up but you know 
surprising not yeah. really and uh andy kills a dog too and which officially makes it a non-molly friendly movie non-molly and, friendly uh, we just need to get that disclaimer out there for when the the molly friendly movie list comes out that american <laughs> psycho will will not be on that not be on it <laughs> so he takes him back to his place and all the furniture is covered in like drapery and there's like newspaper articles taped to the ground and like it looks like he's preparing to murder him um so you're kind of like okay like something's gonna happen here but he's so drunk he doesn't quite realize yeah how odd the situation is and he starts to question it as you like already know what's gonna happen but there's music playing and i don't know who it is but um pat is just like talking about the song and like saying all these facts about it and like just going on a monologue about this music and what song's the best and when the album was good and what album wasn't good and as he's talking he goes to like his cabinet and pulls out an axe and then the guy um paul allen yes yes okay paul is starts to question like hey do you have a puppy like why is this stuff on the floor and then pat's like no no puppy and then he like turns around to look at him and at the same time pat like pulls the axe and like axes him <laughs> and starts tearing him apart with the axe i love that you call him pat pat <laughs> yeah <laughs> he has like some sure. kind of nickname he introduces um, himself as pat multiple times in the movie so i thought it would be okay i think he does yeah i think he does um, to be just a quick because we're not gonna overlook this incredible piece of music history. The it's most Cuban famous scene in the news. movie. Yeah, the like, Hits to be square is the song. We're gonna put some respect on their name because it's a good ass fucking song. Bomb ass song. He has good taste. When you think of American Psycho, uh, Huey Lewis in the news is almost associated with it. Like mm-hmm. at at the top. Like when you think of American Psycho, you think of christian bale in that clear raincoat talking about huey lewis the little dance he does when he's talking about it the little like shimmy he does as he walks to him and the hey paul like that yeah it's the movie at its best in my opinion to build a little bit more like characterization of the scene because it's it's one of the most iconic scenes but also one of the most memorable for that reason that's why it's iconic because there's so much that's great about this scene go off i mean Kim. go off if, if you picture the way jim carrey would deliver one of his like funny little comedic moments it's exactly like that it's overacting to the point that it's just it's so funny but disturbing at the same time like he's talking on this fucking pedestal about how great huey lewis and the news is which like to be fair it is and he's like putting on this little raincoat and he's just going off on his own little world about how great this fucking band was showing him the cd like doing these little like almost voices and all this this facial like it's so it's so funny but it's it's almost like he's not preparing to kill someone he's just trying to be a little quirky you know and then when he grabs the axe and the fact that he makes Alan turn around to look at him before he hits him in the head with that axe is iconic and says a lot about him and why he killed Alan in the first place. But also, I would like to point out that the way that the murder scenes and the more explicit stuff in this movie are shot, to me, says a lot about the purpose of this film. 
because we could have gotten a really great gore shot yeah. about someone getting their head smacked in with an axe and blood squirting everywhere and just like something incredibly amazing with prosthetics. But instead, the camera is always focused on him. And it's his face that we see when he smacks that, a- that axe into Alan's head. It's the blood splattering on him and sort of the post and pre murders that's what we get more context of because the murder itself was so quick him hitting him in the head happened in like less than two seconds but the whole ritual of him talking about his music and putting on his little raincoat and doing his little dance and saying his little speeches he had a cigar what happens it's yeah it's what happens previous to the murder and that's the whole crux of that scene then like two seconds alan's dead and then the after part, where he's smoking a cigar, and then he's packing the body away. And we kind of, it's always focused on him. And I think that says a lot about the perspective that we get in this movie, and the perspective that the director, in particular, and the writers, were kind of aiming for us to kind of have more focus on, versus... And I think that's kind of where the horror doesn't lie in the goriness or the murdering in particular, but it's more so on him as an individual. And that to me is incredible. I I might be saying something about myself here that's odd in some way, but I kind of feel like too, you're not like, oh, poor Paul. You're almost like, yeah, to like some degree, like get him, you know, (laughs) like at least I kind of feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't feel bad for Paul. Like Paul's like, like, I don't know, like, he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but, like, you follow Patrick, and you know you hate Paul, and it's like his plan came together, and you almost, in some ways, root for that. I don't think it's that way. That is so interesting. Do you like Patrick Bateman? Not at all. Not at all. I think... It's okay if you do. I just would find that really interesting from, like, a guy's perspective. That's, like, a massive red flag. However, I feel (laughs) the the Paul Allen one is one you can root for more than any other one. Yeah. And I think it's also, you can say it's his one attack against a, a, a man. Yes, and and it's it's only women afterwards, well, and besides, I feel yeah him and the homeless man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's fair, but I I don't know. I feel like that's the most enjoyable one in some way, and and while Paul Allen's a victim, it's it's certainly less emotional than his other victims. There's less like torture to it, and it's more in some odd ways. I'd almost say like professional, like it's business in some way. Oh, a hundred percent. It's there's there's a beauty to it. Like if you've ever seen Dexter and sort of the mm. way that he, and that's a TV show by the way that was I think on Showtime. Yeah, um, coming back. There's like for a methodicalness, a new, a new final season to improve. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm kind of excited. Yeah. Um, there's a methodicalness that goes along with not only committing the murder but also cleaning up. And I think you can 100% see it in this movie that that there's a premeditation to this. The carefully strewn out newspapers, the way he had a raincoat just ready for him. This wasn't his first kill by any means, but it's definitely, like, it's just so well done. And... Oh, it's if, if Patrick Bateman wasn't such an asshole, I would say that scene was pretty hot. But <laughs> I knew it. I knew this. I knew we'd get here. I, I knew we'd like... get here eventually. <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's something about all that blood everywhere that's kind of attractive. But oh but, my god! But, 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 Whoa! Quote that but, right but, there. But, Quote but, that but. right there. Okay. No. If the P comment's gonna fucking if I, <laughs> gonna follow me, this quote needs to follow. Kim. Hey, hey, there's there's a lot of, you know, weird things out there. And that's okay. Okay, but, but hold on. <laughs> you just said the amount of blood is what's hot. 
Well, like, on him, like, doing it was pretty attractive. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but but him as an individual all around, obviously, I, I detest him, and that's the point. He's not a likable character. He's he's not someone She's that I would ever put so on my list. so hard to go past this, and I really don't think we can. Yes, we can. It's a great fucking scene, and I, I, I just love it. I just love it. I, I just love that, that image of him. It's just, it's one of my favorites. It almost makes me want to say that I really like him as a character, but I know I don't, so. <laughs> I, I think another thing, you were commenting on how you don't see Paul Allen get killed and how it focuses on Patrick Bateman, and I'd like to bring mm-hmm. up the possibility that that might be because he didn't kill Paul Allen and this didn't Yes, happen. I was going to bring that up, that all of this is fake. That it might not have happened at all, and you don't see I... Paul Allen Jesus fight Christ. it because of that. Stop. Um, what? I, no, 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 cut that out because that was, <laughs> that was accidental. It's being attacked in the closet. Kim's <laughs> in the closet. Gets cut out. I totally forgot irrelevant. to say it, but when you were talking about the wine earlier, I was going to be like, does the wine taste better in the closet than outside of the closet? Um, <laughs> just ignore here, it. So not as great. <laughs> She's just like, I'm not even going to acknowledge that. It's okay. She's um, got a blood kink. We can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> anyway, we all have things that we are ashamed of, and that's okay. We all have weird little... He... Aaron likes pee. I don't. Okay. so much I different. I don't like pee. I've had multiple times <laughs> during this recording that I wish people were recording my face. Like, I don't because I would have to look good. But at the same time, like, I wish this was a visual recording because I've been shocked to my core like three or four times. <laughs> and I don't even know how to explain it to, like, our audience. <laughs> um, it just be like that sometimes. So, okay, I, I'm so sorry. Where did we leave off? I, I want to bring up one last thing about this scene and then I, I want to get okay. uh, AJ's final thoughts on it and then move on because I, I think this is the scene we'll probably talk about most. I don't think him talking about Huey Lewis in the news is fake for a second. I think he actually has one passion and has feelings towards one thing in particular and that's music. And I think mm-hmm. everything he says about Huey Lewis in the news he absolutely believes. And the reason why it's so believable and so likable is he's actually talking about something he's passionate about. And I think he doesn't give a shit whether or not Paul Allen approves of what he thinks or cares about Paul Allen's opinion at all and he's just saying what he wants to say in the moment because whatever he says doesn't matter before he kills him so we might as well talk about something that he's passionate about and Mm -hmm. the scene's so iconic that like he talks about Huey Lewis in the news and I don't particularly care about Huey Lewis in the news. I don't dislike Huey Lewis in the news, but I can tell you right off the bat, but when sports came out in 83, I really think they came into their own commercially and artistically because like the scene's so good. It's so memorable. Like I I think it's, it's by far the best scene in the movie. And I think it's, there's in a movie where Christian Bale is playing somebody that's pretending to be interested in something for so long that when he, is playing somebody that's actually interested in something that it stands out. Does that make any sense? Like, I I feel like, I feel like he portrays it well. I mean, I kind of, I guess, I don't disagree, but I guess I always saw it a bit differently when it came to his music tastes, or I guess, in my opinion, his lack thereof. Because in the beginning, he talks about his music collection, but he always, and it's brought back later when he talks about Whitney Houston, he's basically just repeating reviews and stuff that's on the actual cds or just something you could i know you can't wikipedia in that time but like he's essentially just like spitting facts 
oh, it was this year, and this happened in that year, and this was his first track on number one, and this was that. It's all just basically like he researched about a specific topic and just made that his personality mm. versus like, you know, him actually having a passion for them. It sounds more like he just wants to have a bunch of knowledge about something, so he has something to talk about. So maybe I fell for it then. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's I, I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. It's the hair. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> fuck, you're right. It's, it's all the hair. He does have a slightly better haircut than Paul Allen. He does. I mean, not, not Paul Allen. Lie, it's the other one. Oh, is it? Is it? They go to this. Oh, you're right. You're right. It's the guy I mistook him as. for. It's Marcus. Yeah. yeah. They do the same thing. And they go to the same barber, but my haircut's slightly better. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's really interesting. I think this scene is when the movie won me over. Yeah, it's, it's kind of where it comes together. Because you already, like, you've gotten hints at, like, murder, and he kills the homeless man, but it's still not, like, truly, like, the way, like, there was some vagueness in that situation, um, but I think this is when you, you get, like, a whole storyline. You have, like, why he wants to kill Paul Allen, what's happening here, you watch him get him drunk, you watch him take him out, like, you have, like, you watch the whole process happen. And I think that's where when Aaron says that like, he is almost like rooting for it. That's what it comes from. It comes from this, like the movie makes you want it. The movie makes you see the whole process happen and it makes it seem so premeditated that you're like, Oh, he's going to finally do it. He's going to finally do it. And then he does it. Um, and I think, like, I, I agree that it's super interesting that it's always on him. Because I even wondered, when that kill happened, I was like, what's this movie rated? Is it rated PG-13? Because I thought it was weird that they didn't show the murder. Um, and that's all to say with if this actually happened. Because also, there's the whole part of the story where it's like, none of this is real. And I almost wish at some point that, like at the end of this film, there was, like, a flash of all these scenes that, like, made it make sense, but I know it's supposed to be vague, but this is one of those moments is, like, how did he know he was going to London, and, like, where did all of that storyline come from if he didn't make it all up? Um, so, I don't know, but this movie definitely gets me at that point. I also feel like, um, it's the only murder that's, like, kind of goes to plan, and every murder he does afterwards is kind of, like, a thing of passion in the moment. Yeah. Um, so, like, this one is the actual methodical one, and everything else is kind of, like, not completely unplanned, but certainly less planned, and certainly a bit more, a bit more improv. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We should definitely move on because we're getting a little mm-hmm. we're getting a little late here. Um, although I do love the discussion of of this scene in particular. Um, afterwards, after killing Paul Allen, he then frames that he went on a trip to London. Uh, he goes to Paul Allen's apartment and packs a suitcase and uh, gets rid of it and leaves a voicemail on his thing saying that he was going to London, and this brings Willem Dafoe into the picture because later Willem Dafoe plays a detective that was set to figure out where Paul Allen went because his girlfriend doesn't believe that Paul Allen went to London and it leads to some really great interrogation scenes where Willem Dafoe is asking Patrick if he knows Paul Allen and I would say it's fair to say that Patrick doesn't do well in any of these interviews And it always seems like Willem Dafoe knows what's going on, despite the fact that he has no real reason to fully know what's going on. Yeah. 
Do yeah. you want to talk about that for us a little bit? I mean, I think he 100% knows because the, it was like he does like everything that a guilty person would do. He's like mm-hmm. sweating. He's like stuttering. He's asking all these specific questions that like no one would give a shit about if they were innocent. Um, and it does make you think about the fact that he has purposely like used the other guy's name to set up the meeting and things like that. Um, because you know that he has some sort of alibi in this situation, but at the same time, he didn't work to set up like, oh, I was here with these people or anything like that, especially when eventually he's given an alibi, um, that he was with the guy he pretended to be and, um, he responds. Let's save that for just a little bit longer. Let's save that. Let's just, let's go like, cause I want to talk about what you're talking about, but let's push it just like a little bit further. Okay. Um, Kim, did you have anything to say about the Willem Dafoe, like, first? I mean, another little discussion whether, not that he was real, but whether those conversations were 100%. I mean, I'm going to, like, I guess I was going to save it, but I, I guess I can also reiterate this later. But because Patrick Bateman is our narrator throughout this whole movie, he is an unreliable narrator. So the yeah. way that he perceives things is not necessarily how they actually happened or how they actually exist. So for me, I mean, the fact that William Defoe's character brings up Huey Lewis and the news yeah. unprovoked kind of gives a bit more implication that whatever is he's seeing or his guilt that he's seeing on Patrick is merely Patrick's own projection of his own guilt. He's seeing what he wants to see, and this conversation may have not happened at all or may have not happened the way that it did because this is the way that Patrick is processing it. So that's kind of the fun in this scene. It's uncanny when you watch it, but in hindsight, it's very much so up in the air in terms of what exactly, you know, happened between them realistically. Yeah, like, absolutely. I I feel the same way that it might not be nearly as bad as it looks, but just because Patrick's actually nervous. Yeah. Um, So... After this, there's kind of, it's kind of a long portion of the movie, but I think in general it's kind of irrelevant. But this is the scene where uh, AJ was alluding to earlier where he hires two sex workers and has sex with both of them and then abuses them both. Yeah. It's kind of a long portion, and he gives another music monologue. Um, it's not the Whitney Houston one yet, but I forget which band he talks about. He oh, talks no, about Phil he, Collins. Phil, Phil Collins, an yes. icon, a king. Yes, it goes harder than anyone ever asked on the Tarzan soundtrack. What a king. Um, Bateman would have loved the Tarzan soundtrack. I will stand Bateman, by that statement. Bateman would have, I was going to say killed for it. That was a complete accident. He would have killed for the <laughs> uh, the Tarzan soundtrack. And that's a that's a fact. But um, If I were going to be murdered and my murderer was going to talk about any soundtrack, it would have to be the Tarzan soundtrack. Deadass. I wouldn't even be upset. That is such a good soundtrack. Tarzan came out before this movie came out. Just saying. Uh, Oh, you're right, Damn. though. But not, not, not in not the Not within timeline. the timeline of the movie, though. Yes. Oh, okay. They, okay. they might have included Phil Collins because of Tarzan, but Tarzan would not have been out <laughs> to Patrick Bateman yet. Not because he was a good artist. It's just because of the Tarzan soundtrack. I don't, I don't, I don't see the difference. I <laughs> um, but I, I don't, I, personally, I don't feel like there's a lot of things to discuss in this scene, other than it's, mm-hmm. no. it's probably a little superfluous. I, I understand why it's in there in many ways, but this is what we were talking about where he has sex with these two women and is like looking at himself in the mirror flexing the whole time i think it's just a way to reinstate his self-obsessed narcissism 
But mm-hmm. um, is there anything you guys wanted to say about that scene? No. no. Um, and then after this is where we're talking about where he gets interviewed by Willem Dafoe again and he brings up Huey Lewis in the news and it's even more suspect and they agree to have dinner later. He invites his secretary, who's very sweet, mm-hmm. out to dinner and has him has her meet him at his apartment and almost kills her. He's talking to her. She's very sweet. Just talking about what basically she sits and talks about what a good person she is as he's planning to kill her. And he winds up having a uh, nail gun to the back of her head when Reese Witherspoon calls on the phone and like it hits voicemail and it's kind of like a speaker message where the secretary realizes that he's indeed still dating Reese Witherspoon and she wants she's like should I leave and he goes I think I'm gonna hurt you if you don't and she takes that as emotionally but he means physically I'm going to hurt you if you don't yeah um and I I like that scene a whole lot I know I blazed through it but this is one I kind of want to discuss did you guys have thoughts on that I like the level of like this double conversation where like he's saying I'm gonna hurt you because he means it like physically and she's taking it very much like yeah I don't want to be bruised again like I keep getting involved with like unavailable men like all this stuff and it's just I I like the way that that plays out and I think that's really interesting yeah anything on that Kim um I mean I I guess it's kind of it's different from his other conversations where he's essentially saying what he means but people either not hearing him because it's not really what he said or or you know other theories of that whereas he's he's saying what he means but she's interpreting it a different way and like i mean y'all can call her dumb but i mean we've all used that terminology before like i don't want to hurt you but i never think like oh he means he's gonna beat my ass or he's gonna kill me (laughs) if i don't leave Whenever you say it in that way, the context is usually from an emotional standpoint. Um, I mean, he didn't kill her, but, like, that nail gun, that would have been a really cool scene, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, so I was a little disappointed that he didn't kill her, but whatever. I literally had the thought during that scene, I was like, wouldn't that get blood all over your couches? Mm, good point. Maybe that's why he, he set himself up for failure in the beginning. You yeah. Know, he was designed her couch. <laughs> um. Oh, go, going back just a little bit, when he gets interviewed by Willem Dafoe and he pulls out the Huey Lewis album, there's a point where he says, like, not a big music fan, and he's like, no, absolutely not. And I think that's what makes me feel like he actually is a music fan. Is because of that, too, like, he was sensitive about being called out about being mm. a music fan, as if, like, oh, no, you like something, don't you? You like Krabby Patties, don't you, Squidward? You know, like, that <laughs> kind of thing. Um. <laughs> nice SpongeBob reference. Thank you, I'm full of Um... But, uh, again, I apologize, blasting through this, just trying to get us through it, because I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say at the end, like, overall. Yeah. But he then picks up the same sex worker again, uh, along with, uh, like, clearly an acquaintance. I don't think she's in the movie prior, right? She's introduced. No. Um, and he, he sets up, like, a similar situation, and then, but this time, instead of just abusing them, he actually goes for, like, the kill. And this has a... <laughs> probably an- another famous scene from this movie and probably less so of course than yeah. like the hey paul scene but of him running butt ass naked through the halls with a chainsaw chasing yeah. the sex worker down the halls and this is when aj first said like oh nobody else is hearing this chainsaw like he's going down, mm-hmm. the, halls, he's yeah. going down the halls and no one's seeing this and that's when i was like we have so much to discuss because d- did that ever happen and, yeah. and for me personally this is when everything becomes fantasy like if i had to draw a line 
it would be the chainsaw scene. I think this is when, yeah, personally, this is when shit stops being real because not only does he chase her with the chainsaw, nobody hears it, but he drops it down the stairwell, and it manages to perfectly be in time and and hitting her, and it's just so unlikely. Like even for a movie, and it works out too perfectly in my opinion. But I, I have... mean, there's something that's certainly iconic about christian bale butt ass naked running through the halls just man ass and all with a chainsaw and then when he does kill her he growls and hisses like an animal that's covered Mm -hmm. in blood and he has this face as he drops it he's almost like gnashing his teeth and it's disgusting and then finally when the chainsaw just fucking stabs her and kills her he screams like it's like this this war cry when he finally gets her and it's just such a disgusting moment he just is not patrick bateman at all in that scene he's just an animal Mm -hmm. i want to back up slightly because before (laughs) he chases her she tries to leave and he's like having sex with the other woman and then he's like eating her out and he gets up and there's just like blood all over his face yeah and i have questions (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to avoid those. I <laughs> kind of intentionally left that out because I don't know what happened under those sheets. I don't understand I what happened. That's what made me question it was like literally that scene. I was just like, wait, how? what the fuck happened there? And then all of a sudden everything gets even weirder. But I just wanted to point out that that part makes no sense too. And that's where my questioning began. And shortly after that, he bites the escaping woman's leg. Yes. He like bites her. And I think that that's kind of alluded to what happened under the sheets is that yeah he was, he was he was biting yeah he said um when he was giving his uh confession later on that he tried to eat some of them yeah and that i think that was brains. kind of the yeah that he was alluding to like the fact that he he used his mouth to do all that yeah um <laughs> so do we, any thoughts on the chainsaw scene before we i mean iconic beautiful <laughs> Kind of fucking hot, but you know what? Oh We're my not god! Gonna get into that. Is it the blood again? I loved it. It was just so it's fucking good. Holy shit! Such a good scene. Sorry, AJ. That's all I have to contribute. To that <laughs> scene, but I really like it for personal reasons. For personal reasons, it's her blood cake. Yeah, it's fine. Personal reasons. Um, I yeah, it's pretty wild. I definitely, that's definitely where I started questioning, like, okay, what's real, what's not? Because I don't think I questioned it really before that. I think I was like, okay, he killed that guy. I was shocked that he hadn't been, like, caught by anything yet. But I think other than that, I was just like, okay, this is still happening. I did question why the girl got back in the car, because that sex worker comes back with him and says that she had to have surgery, she's going to have to have surgery, which also was a very vivid image of like what the fuck happened um but i think that that moment where i was like nobody's awake like nobody's noticing that he's running down the thing naked with a chainsaw was very much like okay none of this can be i mean i don't think i was that fully like none of this could be real but i was definitely like this seems much more impractical than anything else has I think in hindsight we should also mention that he did all of this in Paul Allen's apartment because yes. he it's mm-hmm. kind of like a safe zone for himself. And there would have been multiple murdered women and more bodies in that apartment. And he tells all of them that he's Paul Allen, I guess, on the chance that they did escape. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, where he worked. That was before, but um, he specified yeah. 
where Paul Allen worked. Which I thought was him trying to establish that, like, he was still alive. Mm, I could see that working that way, too. Because he let those girls go. Yeah. So, like, if they had made a police report against this guy that beat them the fuck up, it would be against Paul Allen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I... I guess I can see it that way, yeah. That makes sense. I think they'd be kind of dumb to assume that he gave them a real name, though, especially because he literally assigns them names. It's like, exactly. You're yeah. and you're Sabrina, but I get what you're going I thought the same thing. Um, I guess now we can kind of go into, like, the final sequence, right? Like, he, yeah. he moves on from there. He breaks up with Reese Witherspoon and basically looks at her and is like my urge to kill people is too strong and i don't think we can be along together and she's like what are you saying he's like i i, I can't state it any clearer <laughs> yeah um and from then it kind of goes on to a rampage where he is at an eight it's a really weird setup and i think this is the strongest evidence for none of this shit actually mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. but he is at an atm and there's a stray cat and suddenly the ATM has text on it that says, feed me a stray cat. So he picks up the cat and puts a gun to its head. And then an old woman comes by and is like, what the hell are you doing? And he pulls out, a, he pulls the gun to her and shoots her. And right as he shoots her, a cop car is coming by. So they turn on their sirens and he's immediately running. And uh, he sets off a bunch of car alarms to try to distract them. And then the police come up. I and thought he was just looking him. for a car to get into. I think that's how it started. Like he was, he pulled on the first car to yeah. get into it, and then the alarms start, and then he kind of realized, like, I might be able to cause a distraction by like starting these alarms. He's mm-hmm. kicking cars at the end too. Yeah. And um, then the cops eventually find him, and when he shoots at them, he kills them, and then also kind of miraculously hits their gas tanks and causes these cars to explode. And even he's surprised by these cars exploding. He like examines the gun after it happens, like. I, I can't believe I got away with that. Like, I can't believe I shot these cop cars and they explodes. And he goes through a couple of office buildings and shoots basically anybody that lays eyes on him so there would be no witnesses. And he gets it back to his office and he calls his lawyer and he confesses to all of the murders, saying, I've killed all these people I must have killed. And it's funny because his estimates are kind of, like, off the wall. So he's like, yeah. I must have killed five to ten bums. I feel like you'd know. Um, and he's like, I killed all these women. I killed Paul Allen, and I guess I've killed twenty people. You know what? It might be more like forty. And I feel like there's that's just such a range that it mm-hmm. kind of gives this unbelievability. And he basically confesses entirely to his lawyer and saying, I don't think I'm going to get away with it this time. I've done too much. There's helicopters out there looking for him and everything. And it's 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 very sudden for a movie that's pretty slow and methodical i mean i'm saying that after there was a scene where he was naked chasing someone with a chainsaw (laughs) before then but i would say that it's it's pretty slow and then it it suddenly takes off in the scene and i'm curious to know if that surprised you aj yeah i think i was definitely like what the fuck is happening (laughs) um and then i was shocked by him like admitting everything for sure i was like oh okay so he's actually because you know I mean, it builds itself up, but there was definitely, like, a disbelief in the fact that, like, he was going to get away from those police officers and that he killed them was, like, shocked. It was like, that didn't happen. And then, like, but what's interesting, and then he makes the phone call. 
and I want to step forward a little bit to like fully analyze this. Am I able to uh, or no? Yes, I want to make a quick correction real quick. Okay. When he's chasing the woman with the chainsaw. They're running throughout Paul Allen's apartment, and you see that Paul Allen's apartment is littered with bodies of people yes. he had killed throughout. Yeah. You, know, you can think about the weeks before. So there are, I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying dozens of bodies yeah. throughout Paul Adam, Allen's apartment, and that comes into play later, and I should have mentioned that earlier, and I apologize, but go ahead and continue. Um. It's okay. I think we should get to this point, and then I can make my point. So we'll just move on. Uh, are you talking about like when he talks to the lawyer? At the yeah. End? Yeah. Um, so I, I can kind of move us into that direction. So he gives the whole confession. He talks about everyone he's killed. He even admits to like trying to eat some of their brains and eating some of their brains. Um, and then it kind of cuts to the next morning where he's showering as usual. He decides to go to Paul Allen's apartment, I guess, to see, I guess, if police are there, if there's any damage control he could do. But when he goes to Paul Allen's apartment, it's being sold. It's been repainted. They have no idea who Paul Allen, like, was or whatever. And there's no evidence of dozens of dead bodies being there. Um, he's very confused, and he leaves. He meets his friends at his bar, and his lawyer's at the bar. He goes and talks to the, the lawyer and says, like, hey, I left you that message. And immediately the lawyer's thinks he's somebody else entirely yeah. and he's like oh hey I, f I forget the guy's name but he's like oh tim or whatever <laughs> like good to see you um you left me that funny message last night yeah as if patrick bateman would ever do that and then kind of losing it patrick's like no i'm patrick bateman i did that i killed paul allen he's like that's impossible i had dinner with paul allen 10 days ago and Patrick Bateman sits down, kind of realizing that he's gotten away with all of this and that he's not going to face any punch. And he's just, he kind of trips out. And then at the end, there's like a very poignant scene where he goes, I have somehow evaded punishment and I've learned nothing about myself. And he kind of expresses this wish to have been caught and had some kind of punishment. And I think it's probably the most telling moment about his character that. I, I think it kind of connects to me saying how everybody's kind of samey and everyone has the same goals and they all have the same haircut and they all have the same suits and the same business card and he wants to stand out so bad that he was willing to kill people and he can't even get recognition for mass murder at the end of it. Yeah. Um, I Sorry, I know I covered a whole lot there, but I think now we're we're pretty much able to discuss whatever we want. So Yeah. Uh, open the gates. <laughs> so... My question is that, okay, the murders aren't real. I don't know which murders are real, which murders aren't real. But, like, if we're saying that, like, when he's at the chainsaw running down the hallway, like, that's not real. So, but the f phone call was real is what's kind of confusing to me. Like, what actions of his are real and what aren't is so impossible to tell the difference between. I, th I think he made the phone call for sure. It's just whether or not it was the phone call of a insane person making no sense or a confession, you know? Yeah. Well, no matter what, in his perspective, it was a confession. Yes, yes. But how does he... What is the series of events that lead to the phone call if the series of events that lead to the phone call are what we saw? Could all, it could all be a delusion. There's okay. also to say that Paul Allen's family went to his apartment and saw all these dead bodies and said, we have to hide this. Yeah. 
which is another thought I've I've had for a while is that Paul Allen's family like saw his apartment saw all these dead bodies and was like we gotta do whatever we can to hide this and there's kind of like when he shows up the apartment and that woman's trying to sell it there's very much like don't come back here again and leave stop Mm -hmm. asking questions and it could be completely innocent as in there's a crazy dude in this house I'm trying to sell get out and don't come back or a hey shut up you know like who knows so but and then the lawyer's just in on it I mean, it, they could be separate. You know, the lawyer could have completely thought it was a prank call and not realized it was Patrick Bateman calling. He, The lawyer might not even represent Patrick Bateman. Yes, but the lawyer had dinner with Paul Allen in London. Yeah, absolutely. And that could be it. And it's just Patrick Bateman's a crazy person on the side making up stories about how he's represented by Paul Allen's lawyer. You know. I think I'm trying to understand how... The family could, because I like the story of the family covering it up, mm-hmm. um, how the family could cover it up without Paul Allen being dead. I mean, they, they, I think what I'm trying to say is they could all be different pieces. Some of it can be real and some of it isn't. You okay. know? The whole lawyer part can be fabricated and the whole Paul Allen part could be fabricated and the lawyer part's real, you know? Yeah. Also the fact that he could have met with anyone who called himself Paul Allen because they don't even know each other's fucking names, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. If you want to go down that theory route, they... if, if you want to go down that kind of um, perspective of it, there's definitely some merit to that theory. But I don't know. They even say in the beginning, like, that's not Paul Allen, that's Paul Allen. And I'm not even sure when he says that's Paul Allen that that's Jared Leto that they were pointing at. Yeah, I'm not yeah. even sure that that's him, you know. And it again just goes into this, you know, beautiful theme of like they're all the same at the end of the day. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of theories and perspectives on it. And it's all it's all just based on your opinion and how you want to look at it. So, so what's your outlook on it, Kim? Um, I have a lot actually. <laughs> Go for it. Just because it's it's so like. It's so interesting, but there's also so many different ways to, like, go about it. I mean, in in a cut and dry, I guess, kind of way, whether, like, I guess the question of whether he did it or he didn't, part of me likes to believe that he did it, but the part that's warped is the ending, i.e. the fact that he doesn't get caught, because everything from then on is, in a way, cohesive, minus a few hiccups here and there. I would like to think that he actually did everything because that to me is much more fun and exciting. It's much more hot. But <laughs> yeah, it is pretty hot. Um, but the fact that towards the end, he kind of loses his sense of self, his own kind of perspective and reality no longer is truly like, no longer truly exists. So as he's getting warped, so are we because we're seeing it through his perspective. Yeah. Unreliable narrator, as you said earlier. Yeah, so I mean, I would like to think that he did it and he just can't cope with the fact that he either didn't get caught for it or the fact that he was going to be caught for it and didn't know which way to perceive however his ending is. Even then, that's still kind of a very abstract way of looking at it. But um, there is a lot more, I guess, if you want to see this in a more symbolism kind of a take which i personally like but that also is pretty abstract too some people don't like that kind of shit i find that shit interesting though Mm -hmm. um like the idea of like 
and I'm I this might get a little too you know artsy artsy bullshitty whatever but I find this shit pretty cool like the idea of privilege which we've talked about and this isn't me talking out of my ass this is like also from interviews that like the director has talked about and the intention through the book that this was supposed to be a discussion about privilege and classism so don't come for me if you're talking about this bullshit I'm sorry if it's boring but I think it, it's it's pretty in tandem with what happens at the end this idea that like privilege and classism that like allows freedom of consequences absolutely and that may also encompass things like murder and again that's also not something we don't see every day how rich privileged people get to get away with things differently than those of us that are poor and can't afford it or don't have the same kind of connections to and i think it's either bateman did it and confesses and either people don't give a shit because they're too self-absorbed where if things don't actually um you know actually affect them they're not gonna care or it's more so the fact that he's so privileged and rich that he doesn't get any consequences he can shoot a bunch of cops and kill a bunch of people and no one will give a shit and he'll get away with it There's a- and his own frustration could be I guess his own cycle of suffering that he kind of has to go through is his punishment. But th- there is a lot, I guess, in that particular theme. I think also the fact that, like, Paul Allen is the only one that ends up getting investigated by a cop. The rich Whereas one. all the other people, a homeless man, the prostitutes, like, all of them... Yeah. Not a single person has ever inquired about their whereabouts, but Paul Allen, because he is rich, because he's part of the inner circle, because he works on Wall Street, he's the only one who actually gets questioned about his whereabouts and his death, even though who knows who the fuck even reported that. So I, I think it, it all kind of stems through that whole theme of like how money and elitism all kind of ties in together and allows people to be able to do whatever the fuck they want without getting any actual justice or punishment um at the end of the day so i guess that that's a easier way i guess of um justifying the ending and discussing it but cut and dry you know did he do it did he not that is always going to be up in the air and i part of me believes he did do it because i think that's much more fun part of me also can buy that he didn't do it and he's just insane um but i like to think that he did it just because i like i like i like the fact that he murdered people <laughs> and that to me is pretty fucking cool so and the butt kink and the and, kink. and that because it's pretty fucking hot there's a great scene that refers to what you're talking to when he's dragging paul allen's body through the lobby oh yeah and he Mm -hmm. throws it in a trunk and someone sees him throw this body into the trunk and they go oh my god where did you get that overnight bag because it's like a designer overnight bag that the body stuffed in (laughs) and it just shows that like they jump right over the suspiciousness and are like wow look how rich you are yeah, and the question is either are they too self-absorbed and narcissist and materialistic to notice that there's a body there? Is that what's being conveyed, or is it the fact that there is no body, so they don't really see anything? And I guess technically both can exist if you want to like do a whole ass you know double analysis on this movie. But I think either one is just as good. Whether you want to buy into the the whole, like, they're just too narcissistic and only see designer brands and not a whole-ass body. Or 
it's a delusion and that bag was either empty or had some bullshit in it and that never happened or there was never a body in there. So, I mean, either way you look at it, it's pretty fucking good. I, I couldn't agree more. It's it, There's just so many ways to look at this. Maybe let's go around for some final thoughts and opinions. Are you guys okay with that? Yeah. Um, yeah you go ahead first, AJ. I really like this film. I think that it's incredibly interesting. I think that it definitely has like a layered effect to it that allows you to think about it long term, and I think I will. And um, yeah, I think it's like a really interesting take on this concept of it being like a slasher. You know, like it is somebody who just like murders people. Um, that is the whole concept in some ways, but it does have a lot of fun social commentary, fun questions about what's real, what isn't, and interesting, like, storyline overall. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a horror movie, right? Like, we don't need to argue that, right? Yeah. It's a horror mystery, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm just I'm sure we're on the same page. He's usually... AJ's afraid of being scared, and I don't think you were scared at any point in this, right? No, this wasn't scary. Well, yeah. it might affect me in the long term of what I'm afraid of, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it was scary like in the way that like during the film I was scared. I don't think this is a slasher by any means. I, I don't think it, it even is close to a slasher, personally. I think what this movie does is quite the opposite of what a slasher is, and that's kind of why... I, I respect it because this director, again, I'm going to like, you know, suck her dick a little bit too much because I, I really, really think she did a great movie um, and took this movie in a great direction. It, it is um, a weird thing, was, especially in the 2000s for a female exactly. director. Like it really is. It's sad that we have to say that, but it's absolutely true that it's it's unique in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to bring that up like a lot throughout my final thoughts because I think it's brilliant. Um, she takes, like, an archetype of, like, a serial killer, which is, you know, usually always in the slasher kind of mold where it's basically just a derivative of, like, bloodlust and just, like, uncontrollable instinct. And she kind of transplants this movie into something bigger where it's a reflection of basically male vanity and drive. And it's satirical and it's clever. And I think it does it in a way that's, again, like I've said before, I'm going to reiterate it, both you know, uncanny, but also normal. Like, there, Patrick Bateman is not that complex of a character in terms of we've all met men who talk and act just like him. Yeah. Like, a lot of the scenes where we see, you know, how women interact with him, we can kind of see a reflection of how we've been in situations with men who also like to talk way too goddamn much about shit that is not interesting or shit that makes them feel good about themselves. You call and me that's out. not <laughs> I'm calling most men out. <laughs> it's this concept of like he's a greater beast among other beasts. You know, he's not different from any of the other men that we see in this movie, except the fact that he murders, maybe, because that's not even clear cut. You know, he's self-righteous and morally takes the high ground. But at the same time, like, he still fucking kills people. And he talks way too fucking much about himself, about shit that's boring as hell. But, you know, he's not different from any of the other men. And I think that's what's really interesting. Like, they take 
the basic sort of sinfulness, like he's narcissistic, he's greedy, he's egotistical, he's misogynistic, he's materialistic, but none of these things in particular any different from any of the other male characters that we see on screen. Or, you know, men in general sometimes. I say sometimes because I don't want bitches to be like, not all men. Okay, fine. <laughs> some men. There. I said some men. If you're not some men, okay, then it's not about you. So don't fucking come for me. Anyway, um, I think the use of direction in particular, and I'm going to say it, like the female gaze in this movie is really heavy. I think when we see that scene of the threesome between Christy and Sabrina, the two prostitutes, I think we see like how interesting it is, like the boredom on their face during the sex, to me, made me laugh because I feel like, damn, bitch, we've all been there. You know what I mean? Like, this man is getting off for himself. And let's be honest, women, that's kind of how it is sometimes when men only think about themselves and don't give a shit about us. And there's something reflectant in how the camera gets certain angles and certain, you know, responses to things that I feel like is something that women would notice and would implicate that maybe a male director would not. Also, the whole, like, fucking monologue about his music. Girls, we fucking know. Sometimes men talk about shit that we don't give a fuck about. And will they ever ask us questions or ask about us? No, bitch. There's a scene where he asks that girl, like, ask me a question. Yeah. And then he goes off and talks to about whatever the fuck he wants to talk about, where he works and shit. Mm. No one cares. But he's too self-absorbed and egotistical to ever really pay attention. And I think that is the most important thing of this movie is that Patrick Bateman is undesirable, not because of how he looks, but because of his fucking personality. And that says a lot about, you know, how men portray themselves. They think because they're rich, they're good looking, they're fit and they're like charming, that they're the whole fucking deal. And this movie, to me, brings these guys a peg down because, bitch, you are the most bland, boring bitches out there. If you're misogynistic, if you're boring, if you have fragile masculinity, it is the biggest turnoff. And Patrick Bateman is the epitome example of that. And it's not just him. All these other men are all the fucking same. All they talk about is dinner reservations and business cards and their fucking suits that don't even look good. You know, (laughs) he's a man who relies on male validation, money, women and material possessions to make himself seem interesting and give himself a personality but like without that he is literally the boringest blandest white man i've ever seen in my life and i think that kind of characterization like i said in the beginning of this whole thing is what makes it so important because it's not glamorizing someone who's a murderer it's not putting a hot man and being like oh my god he lured women because he was hot no like we see who he is as a person and that is where the horror and that's where the disgust is it is in himself but it's also in the fact that he is not separate from all these other characters that we see throughout this film and i think that's so clever and it's so satirical and i have to give it up for you know we need more female directors for this reason because there's just so many subtleties in this movie that is just you know the cake on top I think also, you know, between Alan and Bateman, I think it's a perfect antithesis. But also, like, it shows that Alan is kind of this unattainable individual. He's more, he's not necessarily a person, because again, Jared Leto didn't really have much of a role in this besides a few scenes and his, you know, the character's name being kind of brought up throughout the movie. But it's more so like the unattainable, the, the unattainability of wanting to be better. Like, he always says, you can always be skinnier, you can always be prettier, you can always be more intelligent. There's this constant drive, 
that's his own kind of form of suffering as a character. And I think that's why he both kills Alan because of his jealousy, but also why he doesn't kill Alan, because he could never really attain that level of prosperity that he's always trying to reach for. And I think that's kind of where that ties into the ending, where he wants punishment or he wants notoriety, but he will never actually get it. And that, to me, is pretty fucking deep. So I have to give this movie 100% 10 out of 10, because it's a really good movie. And if you don't want to get into the bullshit of, like, themes and whatever... On the surface level, it's really enjoyable. It's funny. There's blood. Hot, attractive men with blood. Uh, some, you know, interesting plot points. And it's pretty fast-paced. So I think it's definitely a movie that a lot of people can easily enjoy without having to know context or really, you know, care much about the compartments of this movie. Like, the themes and motifs or whatever. All that boring shit. So... I think it's a great movie. I think it's 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 always a blast. And if you don't want to watch it for those reasons, Christian Bale is naked for some of it. Yeah, so you get to see his ass cheeks. And let me tell you, you it's ten see... out of ten. What did Aaron say earlier? I've been waiting for someone else to say it, so I didn't say it. <laughs> no, it's so just long. gonna be you because I, so I would long never long say that. Bring up the Christian Bale bush. I was waiting for bush, so long. I can't. To see the... I can't. Oh. But it has everything in this movie: male nudity. Blood on men. Take a no shot every time Kim says blood. <laughs> I like to imagine Kim's so covered in blood time. right now. That we have no idea. Like she's <laughs> like, yeah, she's Kim's... in the closet covered in blood. <laughs> Kim's like, yeah, you you don't even know he's the killer. Like you have had no idea as she's talking to us. Like we have no idea. <laughs> Kim's currently blood soaked. <laughs> oh, it's a great time though. Definitely a movie I would recommend to a lot of people. And there's no explicit gore or, like, jump scares or anything. So if that's not really your type of movie, this won't, you know, turn you off at all. I I agree with everything you said. I I think especially the fact that you don't have to look into this movie critically at all to enjoy it. Because the performances alone and just the scenes are entertaining as is. I mean, I don't think it's going to hold everyone's attention. I think you have to kind of commit to it in some way. Because it is not slow, but I guess conversational you know like there's a lot of talking in it and not a lot of it's dialogue heavy definitely um so i'm not sure like everyone enjoy it in that way but you don't have to think about this movie a whole lot to see that it's something special you know um i think your paul allen things are really interesting i think it's really interesting how much he hates paul allen but how paul allen is literally just patrick bateman at the same time yeah like they're Mm -hmm. they're the same person he's just who he is a little bit better I guess, and so it's it's really interesting to have the rival be you, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's just interesting in that way. I and I agree with just Kim put it really well. <laughs> That's all I can say. I, um, I love this movie to tears, and it's kind of weird showing to somebody that hasn't seen it before because there's certainly a lot of creepy, odd segments that i'm not necessarily like proud of like i certainly i certainly wasn't like wow i can't wait till aj sees the part where he has the threesome with the prostitutes and then beats the hell out of them <laughs> you know like it, it was certainly weird in that way but to like see aj's reaction at the end like when you know the i had dinner with paul allen 10 days ago and to like someone to see the huey lewis in the news scene for the first time i think it's definitely worth it for that and i'm glad that she got something out of it more so than just you know he killed people you know that there is a lot of discussion to have there's a lot of questions to be asked and 
yeah i mean we can just keep going deeper and deeper with this one uh i would say this is one of my all-time favorites i'd say this is um at least for, for what we watch this is like top two so far yeah i would this say like that episode 13 or 14 i think this is mm-hmm. in my opinion like top two i think midsummer in this kind of hover exorcist is up there too i was gonna say midsummer <laughs> in this yeah uh i think that like between those three also we can now talk in hindsight that exorcist, exorcist. is a cursed episode that never came out and it i think that that's so fitting cursed. i think it's so fitting that exorcist won't come out it's just like so wild it's so eerie it sucks, it sucks. kim it made a tiktok a about it but didn't tag her podcast in it i i yeah no i huh Wait, Kim what? made a TikTok about the fact that we have a haunted <laughs> episode that's never going to come out, but didn't tag our podcast or mention the podcast in it. What the hell? Exactly. It's more work to not mention it. Exactly. It's more work to not mention it. Oh my god. I know. That's, I was so mad. <laughs> that's insane. Did you just say like my podcast or our podcast? She like, didn't even say podcast. She just said something about something being cursed. Oh my god, Kim. How can you sit in the closet and betray us like that? (laughs) Covered in blood. (laughs) Covered in blood. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, That thing's actually scary. Like, I remember that I... Like, some of your guys' audio didn't work, and then I just straight up lost a recording, despite me naming the recording. Like, I think I named it, like exorcist 2 electric boogaloo like something stupid like that that's like memorable yeah and then it was just gone and i scoured my hard drives for it like it was insane like that's wild and it's so eerie because we literally end that podcast talking about how cursed the movie was and how nothing around the exorcist goes well i guess we can also bring up that uh the exorcist is getting three new movies a new trilogy that that netflix paid like a billion dollars to get straight to netflix uh despite the fact that they're gonna have triple a like they're gonna have like big blockbuster budgets they're just gonna come to netflix because they paid them millions um and that the chucky series looks pretty bitchin' after their second Mm -hmm. long trailer they put out so we'll have to find a way to incorporate chucky or something maybe we'll do one episode on it after we've all watched it or something and then we'll do a haunting of hill house eventually too but, yes, please. But um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, got a little off topic there. But <laughs> um, uh, I feel like we've pretty much wrapped up the American Psycho talk, right? We all comfortable yeah. with yeah. how we've left it. I um, yeah. I, I think Kim put it best at the end there. Like Kim gets it. I'm glad Kim and I could agree on one. It's been a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, next time, we'll watch American Psycho 2, starring Mila Kunis. Yes! And um, until then, I've been Aaron. I've been AJ. And Kim. And don't make me say it. Come on. There are people watching. No, I... Okay. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. That sounded...